0: Welcome to Meet the Neighbor. I'm Laura Tamayo. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Kim Constant, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome.
1: You are so welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: How are your holidays?
1: Great, great, very yeah. relaxing. I Was over so in Italy with uh, my boyfriend's family, so really nice, nice and warm. warm warmer than where I live now. So, <laughs> where so are really you at? I'm in Dublin, Ireland.
0: Very nice. So, um, let's build a museum. I would like to invite you to imagine that I am going to build a museum curating your life. What things might I find in there?
1: Yes, I was kind of thinking about this question. I was like, wow, that's an interesting question that I've never been asked before in my life. So, good one for asking (laughs) this question. First of all, what would you find in my museum? If you were to think of it as a timeline, you would find a lot of different countries. A lot of different cultures. You would probably find a lot about my interest for languages, which I picked up as I as I grew up and lived in different places, probably around food. I'm quite a foodie, so oh, lots on like culinary things and aspects of the different places I lived in or traveled to dance is quite an important part of my life as well, or not at the moment, but I danced a lot. So maybe some flamenco, maybe some salsa, maybe different dances. What else? I think languages for me is one of the most important things because for me, being able to speak the language of somebody locally where I'm either living or where I'm traveling really adds an element of being able to understand where they come from and what their culture is like more than just coming in and, oh, I only speak English and let's have a conversation in English. I find that very important. That's that's just something that I really value whenever I'm in a new place, I always try to yeah, try to learn a few words to connect with the person on a deeper level. Tell me about your languages. What do you speak? So I speak I always say six and a half languages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that I was, was thinking, hard
1: to gauge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what do you mean exactly? So I grew up speaking Dutch and English. I studied Italian in high school, then I did Spanish at university, German and French. And Italian as well. So quite a mix. And I'd love to learn more. So who yeah. knows on my travels over the next while, I'll learn some. Well, I did try some Mandarin at some point. And when I was little, I used to speak Shona, which mm. is a local language in Zimbabwe. But I've lost, well, that skill, unfortunately, after mm. we moved, uh, moved away from there. So
0: yeah, harder to find people to be able to have a conversation as Shona probably so
1: yeah and I was so little so I don't really remember but uh, back in Mm -hmm. the days at at crash I used to speak (laughs) it
0: so in your museum let's build a room of pictures Mm. what pictures are hanging in that room
1: first of all people oh yeah wonderful who's there one of the first photos that I always well not one of the first but if people ask where I grew up or where I lived there's one photo specifically of myself and my friends when I was about two years old Mm -hmm. and there was me a little white blonde girl um surrounded by all the locals all my local friends in Zimbabwe so it's a very kind of characteristic photo of my childhood so that would be there and there would be simply photos of either my friends and my family and my colleagues later on in life in the different cities and countries and continents I lived in. I think that that would be one of the main things. And maybe some landscapes as well.
0: Oh, What's a beautiful landscape that just really moves you?
1: I love the sea. Just beautiful sunsets or sunrises. But also, even though I can't remember it that clearly, the countryside in Africa. I remember driving past the water or, you know, the savannah and seeing all the beautiful trees and the animals. But it's not a clear vision in my head anymore. So it would be something I'd have to ask my mom, for example, to tell me, oh, yeah, that that would then. We do have lots of photos and lots of dia's, as we call it in Dutch, the black and whites that you have to project on the wall. Oh,
0: yeah, the slides. Mm, yeah. The
1: slides. We still have yeah. loads of those. So that's probably what I would what I would hang up in my my photo room.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. Tell me about a favorite childhood memory or vacation or just like something that you just love to remember.
1: Hmm. Probably one of the holidays we went on when I was about 10, I think. We went to Cuba, actually. Oh, nice. With my whole family. And I just remember connecting with all of the locals There were Cubans working in the hotel where we were staying, and I was just trying to learn some Spanish, you know, trying to connect with them, even though I, at the time, I didn't speak any any Spanish yet. And it was just so really, really nice to, to connect with them, and also to be in the sea and just playing around, making friends. I remember a girl from Canada who I connected with, who became my pen pal, who I then visited when I was 12, and I went on a trip to visit her on my own back in the day, so... Yeah, that was just really nice. A very beautiful cool. holiday. And I remember being at the beach and I found, you know, one of those big shells, kind of like the cylindric ones, the big ones that you put on your... Yeah, those your, big your, conches, your, it, yeah. Your, exactly. <gasps> Hear the ocean, I was so proud and it was such a beautiful moment. So, yeah, I really remember being on the beach there and and there was a parrot as well. We took some beautiful photos with the parrot there. A parrot? Why wow, was it one of They're the red or the green? Oh, I'm not quite sure. A very colorful one. Don't know why that pops in my head, but I remember that we took a photo with it. At the- <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm curious. When uh, you said you you became pen pals with uh, your little Canadian friend, did you write actual letters on paper and mail them, or was it electronic yeah. already?
1: No, it was not electronic yet. It was, was quite a uh, wow. yeah. I really enjoy that. 10 writing letters. I don't remember what the frequency was, maybe once a month or something. It obviously did, did take a little while for the letter mm-hmm. to, to arrive and then for my friends to write back. But I used to do that a lot. And I actually went through, because I moved around a lot over the past, well, my whole life essentially, there were some boxes at my grandma's house in the mm-hmm. Netherlands still. So I went through my boxes literally a couple of months ago and I found loads of letters from all all the way through primary school, secondary school, university, not so much anymore. I think that's by then I'd switched to email. But for a big part, I I used to write letters and cards and like hundreds, maybe exaggerated, but quite a few bunches of of letters that I had, had received from my friends. So it's really nice, actually.
0: Yeah, I did that growing up as well. And I just remembered I loved the process of writing the letter and sending it. And I just remember mm. how important I felt <laughs> that when I'd get a letter, you know, you're yeah. little, you're a kid, and all of a sudden there's something official that's coming through the post mail, and it's got your name on it. It's for you, you know. It's I was so always exciting. very excited. Yeah, I'd get all mm. excited, you know. My mom would say, "You have mail," and I just <laughs> felt so incredibly important. <laughs> like, excuse yeah. me, I'm gonna go get the letter opener. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I'm a beach person too. I actually love being near the water. Um, lakes too, but mostly ocean. I love just sunsets uh, by the ocean are just mesmerizing. Absolutely. Yeah, just love sitting
1: them. at the beach and just listening to the sound of the sea. It's just, yeah, a beautiful experience.
0: So, sounds like a lot of moving around. Can you give me like a, a quick timeline?
1: Yep. Yeah, um think <laughs> to the countries, not to the moves, because that's about 30, I think.
0: Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs>
1: But I was born in Zimbabwe, lived there for about two and a half years. Then we moved to the Netherlands, where my parents are from. Then we went to Zambia until I was about seven at that stage. Then we moved to the Netherlands, lived in several cities there, to Australia, back to the Netherlands for high school and then university. In my university time, I went to Spain to do a so-called Erasmus year that we have here in Europe. Oh, yeah. Then went back to finish my university, then moved to Brazil for three and a half years, and then I moved to Dublin, Ireland.
0: Nice. So, yeah, so for people that are not familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the Erasmus program?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Erasmus program basically is a scholarship Within Europe, I'm not exactly sure how many countries are involved, but at the time, it would allow us to go and study abroad at literally any of the universities that, well, you had to give up your preferences and you would be it was kind of like a lottery system to see where you would end up. But I chose Spain because I was studying Spanish at university. Well, intercultural business communication with Spanish. And so I was smart. I got myself set up not just for a year of studying. I did half a year of practicas of working within like internships. Yeah. Internships. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then I studied at a different university for six months. So I was in Barcelona for six months and in Seville. And it's, yeah, it's just a life changing experience because, yes, I had lived abroad, of course. But this was really for me the first time that I was living abroad by myself in a yeah. different country with a different language. Yes, i had been studying Spanish for a couple of years, but it's different because... The way things work there is different, and so mm-hmm. it was a beautiful experience, first of all, uh, working there.
0: That's what I was in... thinking, like your first like work experience in pretty much probably one of your first work experiences period, I'm assuming, in this new context.
1: Mm, I started working at a very young age. I actually started 12, so oh, wow. I've had loads of different jobs, but in, within my field, so to speak, within communication that I studied, mm-hmm. that was really one of the first kind of like more official jobs that I had. So it was just a very nice experience. And so students from one university can go to all different countries in Europe for either, I think it's it varies from three months to six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And you can just choose the different subjects that you'd like to study. You have to, well of course, have the amount of credits that you would require for your own degree back home. And you just go on an adventure. I was actually thinking about this earlier. You can choose to stick around with some of your study mates from back home. But mm-hmm. I was very conscious about that. And I said, no, nope, I don't want to live with Dutch people because I know I'm going to be speaking Dutch all the time. Right. So I very consciously chose to live with two Spanish guys, actually. So we shared a, a beautiful apartment and it allowed me to speak Spanish much more frequently than some of the other people that were doing the same degree. And it was just amazing. I already had friends there so the years before, we would always receive students from other countries as well. So Spain, okay. Italy, and Greece and, mm-hmm. and everywhere. And at my university, you could sign up to be a mentor for foreign students. So until today, it's still uh-huh. one of my, Christina from Seville, St. she's still one of, yeah, a really great friend of mine, who I've stayed in touch with all the, yeah, all that time, how many years is that now? That was probably 2004 or five. Well, that's about 15 years, you know. See. So. Yeah, really amazing. Very.
0: (laughs) Wow, what a cool opportunity to be able to just actually connect with people in that way. But yeah, I think that was smart. Because you're right, I think the tendency when people are learning languages is to, you're already surrounded by so many unfamiliar things, is to try and find that group that speaks your language. But it really is, it's strategically really smart to go ahead and reach out and make a friend in the language you're trying to
1: learn. Yeah, plus culturally, you are much more embedded into the local festivities or the local habits, which I just find fascinating to to know exactly what's happening, when they eat, what they eat, what's going on on a weekly basis, on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. With all your travels, have you adopted some of those different ways of doing things that you've seen around
1: the world? Mm, I think I've I've definitely changed as a person as I've lived in different countries. I think the first one was after I started studying Spanish. Because, well, I don't just consider myself Dutch, I consider myself more of a a global citizen at this stage, but Dutch people can be a little bit more reserved sometimes, Mm -hmm. not as warm maybe, not to be stereotypical, but Spanish people or Latin people are often much more open, much more warm, much more chatty. So after having lived in Spain or after studying Spanish, I did find myself to open up more and to be more of a, a warmer person. And when I lived in Brazil, it did take a little bit of adjustment. Well, as it does with any country you sure. you yeah. move to. I remember very well that I, was, I got a job there, worked for a big company, and I had a kind of like a one-to-one with my manager at the time. So he sat next to me and he put his hand on my arm not for like two seconds, but for like two minutes. And I was just sitting there going, oh my God, <laughs> what is this person doing? Like, why is touching me like so long in this work environment? And it was just a really a, like, yeah, a gesture, a normal thing that they would do there because as you probably know, within different cultures, the distance that we have between ourselves and the person we're speaking to really varies sure. from the Nordics. Mm-hmm. It's probably a lot, the distance is, is a lot, larger than it would be in in Latin cultures, for example. So that took a little bit of a while for me to (laughs) get used to. Or even, you know, just hugging somebody or kissing somebody, whereas a Dutch person might more typically shake somebody's hand. And once you've gotten to know a person, you know, over a a longer period of time, you would hug and kiss and, and so forth. So it did open me up to, like I said, being a warmer person.
0: When you were little, how did you handle those changes? What was it like for you as a little kid?
1: so we moved pretty much every 2 years i think as a child's younger age let's say f- until the age of 5 to 7 or or even 10 it was just the way of life like my mom mm-hmm. would sit us down myself and my two sisters at the kitchen table and be like okay we're moving again we're going somewhere else pack up stuff and put everything in a container and it was just a way of life and you'd go to a new school and you just make new friends. It was only when I got a little bit older. I remember in Australia, I was 14 when we arrived, 16 when we left. I remember very well that my mom said, okay, we're going back to the Netherlands. And I was like, no, I am not going. <laughs> <This time laughs> you went on I'm strike. I went on mm. strike, which did not pan out how <laughs> I wanted it to. Because I was like, oh, my God, I just made my friends. You know, it, it does mm-hmm. take a while to make friends, to settle in, to... Um, Become part of some of the groups like the debating club or whatever it is that I was doing at the time. So it upset me a little bit at the time. But then, you know, you don't have a lot of a choice. You don't have a choice because you're still underage and it's not. A, I did actually buy a ticket to Australia one way oh, after wow. I finished high school. So, like, <laughs> well, mom, now I can go. I was back three months later. So, also, that did <laughs> not work out exactly how I thought it would. But Generally, well, I think as and I have this conversation a lot, especially with parents that have Mm -hmm. younger kids. They're like, oh, my God, yeah, no, I can't travel anymore or I'm not sure if I can move to a different country. I think kids are so resilient and they're so flexible when it comes to moving, making new friends, learning a new language, adapting Mm -hmm. to a whole new environment. So I consider myself so fortunate to actually have had this experience. And for a long time, I'd be like, "Okay, so I went to four different high schools. I can't even imagine being at one high school for six years. I mean, that's insane. Like, who would want that? <laughs> and even, I remember very well in Brazil, which is now about five years ago or so. I lived there for three and a half years. And after two years, I was like, okay, I need to do something. I need to, it's been too long. I need to just like <laughs> it's time to go move somewhere else. It's time to go because your system kind of gets used to this frequency of Okay, we're switching things up. If it gets too boring, <laughs> mm-hmm. if, you, if you get too much into a routine, it can get a little bit, well, you can get a bit itchy, I suppose. That would be probably be the right word. Like, okay, something new. What's, what's new? Let's change it up. Yeah,
0: you're ready to see something different. I get what you're saying. I get like that too. I, I get wiggly <laughs> mm. <laughs> to where I feel like I just need to go somewhere for an extended period. How did you make friends when you were little? Did you have like a favorite way you like to do them?
1: I think it's just openly chatting to people. It's one of the the skills, I suppose, that you learn and that you're sometimes even forced to learn in a way, even mm-hmm. though I don't like saying it like this. But I was always a new girl, always. Mm-hmm. So you have a tendency to be very open to everybody, essentially. Like, it doesn't matter what they look like, how tall they are, <laughs> where, where they come from, what their background is. It doesn't matter. You're just open and friendly to everybody. And then at some point, somebody will become your friend. Of course, I did have my hobbies, like I would do swimming or debating or well, depending on the age that I had at the time. But I don't recall a specific way of of making friends, to be Mm -hmm. very honest.
0: What did you like to do? So you've mentioned swimming and you've mentioned Mm -hmm. debate a couple of times. What other kind of childhood things did you really enjoy doing that maybe you don't really do now?
1: I would be outside all the time. I remember the Netherlands, so that's between like 7 to 12. Mm -hmm. It would be skating or running around the neighborhood, inventing all types of games. You know, the marbles. We had this thing called flippos. I don't know if that was a thing in the U.S.,
0: I don't think I know that one. Flippos, tell me, how do you play that?
1: <gasps> okay. Those are do you really- remember?
0: Because, <laughs> I mean, I, we had like outdoor yeah. childhood games too, and I'm like, wow, so long ago, I don't even remember the rules anymore.
1: <laughs> they were in potato chips, like bags. Oh, okay. And you okay. would get this little, like a little disc. And you would collect as many as you could and you would exchange them, like, oh, mine has this, and will you exchange it for that oh, one. Yeah, yeah. And then there were different ways of playing it. You would either, I think, put them on the pile and then you had to throw yours on top, and however many would fall off, you would win. Yeah. I remember lugging around this big, huge bag of these steel marbles, the bigger, the better. And we would also like exchange them and play with them. And sure.
0: So that was Who a lot did you of fun. Admire?
1: Who did you I admire? <laughs> the first thing that comes up is the Spice Girls. <laughs> that works, sure. <laughs> the spice Girls. They would sell little packages of like five photos of their concerts, and I would save up my money for my chores or something, and I would go buy them. And I had posters in my room. Even the plateau shoes combined with skater shorts. Which oh, was nice. a great look. <laughs> Not quite, but it was your look. Yeah, Not it worked. was my look. Who did I admire? Yeah. Not quite sure to be honest. I don't know if I had a specific like one person.
0: It could be groups, it could be like teachers, friends.
1: I think when I was a bit older in Australia, I really admired my Italian teacher. So back in the Netherlands at school, at high school, depending on what you choose, we did ancient Greek and ancient Latin. And then we moved to Australia. And the choice between the languages was Italian, modern Greek and Mandarin, I think. So I was like, let's choose Italian because that's the daughter of Latin. So it makes sense. And Mm. I remember my teacher she was just a diva. She was from Italian (laughs) background. And she was just this amazing woman who knew about everything, you know, the Italian culture and history and art. And yeah, she was really an amazing woman. And I remember saving up with all my little side jobs that I had for a trip to go to Italy from Australia. I was 15 at the time. Mm -hmm. It was 11 girls and two teachers. And I'd saved up all my money to go on a, a two, three week trip to Italy to really get to know the culture. and Where did you go? We went all, all over Italy, to be honest. It was an amazing trip. Really amazing. And very far away, of course, from Australia because it's 24 hours flight, probably something like that. And it was lovely. We went everywhere from Rome to Verona to the south to Naples, everywhere to to go to the different museums, to Pompeii, for example, all the different architectural mm-hmm. sites and ate all the pizza and the pastas and everything. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was really amazing. I remember to re- remember that clearly. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah,
0: it sounds like a beautiful trip. We went to Italy a couple of years back and Pompeii really surprised me. It was so much bigger than I expected it to be. It's yes. impressive. But yeah, I remember very thinking, impressive. wow, it takes more than a day. To, I, I don't feel like I saw all of it. You know, I was, mm. I was very surprised at how large it is. Pretty impressive. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so your museum has marbles and flip I guess. And pictures <laughs> of Europe and skates and all sorts of cool things. If you could add music to the museum, what soundtrack <laughs> is playing in the background?
1: Yeah, so I'd listened to one of your earlier podcasts, and I was like, oh, wow, that's a good question. And the first song that came up to me is La Vida es un Carnaval. Oh, yeah! (laughs) Because I got into salsa dancing at university, Mm -hmm. and life is a carnival. I'm like, yeah, it actually quite is. And especially my life, because it's a carnival of so many different cultures and countries and different habits and traditions and all this kind of stuff. So that would probably be one but I would most likely have some of the local uh, music playing and imagining that I have different rooms for the different places I lived in, for example, so I'd have some local African music, which I well, from what my mom tells me, I used to love because I would always dance around, mm-hmm. you know, when they were playing at the local hospital or in the little village we were living in. But again, there's I don't have one specific. Band or group or singer that I'm a huge fan of. I think I love so many different types of music that it's more. Oh, what's the occasion? Okay, are we are we actually dancing like partner mm-hmm. dancing, or are we just having a chilled evening with wine and dinner? Or I'm really open to learning new styles of music to be honest.
0: And I know there's a Brazilian type of dance that you're very fond of. I can't remember the name of it.
1: Though. Oh, true, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Zouk. Brazilian Zouk. Zouk of yeah,
0: <laughs> tell me about that. I actually don't know much about it at all.
1: This is actually quite a coincidence that I even found out about this. I was studying at university and I went to a Cuban bar, actually, in a different town. And they were playing this music and a guy was dancing with two girls at the same time. And I was like, wow, I was just fascinated. And I looked at him and I was like, I am so going to learn what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I did. I went into classes with, he was a teacher, so I went into classes with him. Souk basically is a derivative type of music of the lambada. Mm, okay. which you probably know, the song sure. Lambada, And so it comes from more like northern Brazil, and it's actually expanded to loads of different countries at this stage, so much so that in the Netherlands it was actually a thing and still is. Oh, wow. I used to go dancing as many times as I could per week and uh, would travel nice. to different congresses around Europe to, and even to Brazil. I went to Brazil for a month uh, to dance and to travel around the country. So oh, I'm not nice. dancing so much now, but I would love to. I know it's it's one of the ways that I just get energized. And yeah, it really makes me very happy to be on the dance floor, to be honest. Very
0: nice. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to seek out some Zouk and see what that's about. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, we love to dance too, but that's not one I knew. So I thought, well, hmm, <laughs> something new to
1: learn. Yeah, yeah,
0: You said you liked to dance a lot when you were a little girl as well. Do you remember what you liked to dance to when you were little?
1: Well, so the story goes that when I was born in Zimbabwe, my grandparents from my mom's side Mm -hmm. came over to Africa to help my mom out. And my mom always told me that my grandpa would hold me in his arms and would dance with me. And the moment he would lay me down in the crib... I would just wake up again, and he'd have to pick me up and start dancing again. So I'm not <laughs> sure if there was any music. Maybe there wasn't. He was just, you know, moving along on to the music in his head. So I did But how sweet. No. <laughs> yeah, really sweet. So from when I was very, very little, it, it showed up in my life dance. The type of music that my mom actually, for a long time, she started salsa dancing. And so we would listen to a lot of salsa at home. Mm-hmm. We were so embarrassed, the three of us, when my mom and <laughs> my stepdad <laughs> would start dancing. And the Netherlands, we like to just keep our curtains open. So somebody on the street can just like walk past and they're walking their dog. And there's my mom and my stepdad dancing and be we like, oh, my God, mom's so embarrassing. Just stop Or like at a party and they would start dancing like, oh, my God. Myself, my sister would be like, oh, Jesus, just cringing. And then fast <laughs> forward. <laughs> Ten years. And, it's and I'm you. just the biggest fan. And it's me. I'll be the awkward mom someday for sure.
0: <laughs> you've mentioned mom and you've mentioned grandpa. Who are some of the other people in your life in your childhood that helped shape you, help you become who you are?
1: My dad, obviously as well, even though he was not always around and since my parents were working for an NGO at the time. That's why mm-hmm. I was born in Africa. So my dad at some point would be on contract. And at some point, my mom, myself, my sisters, we stayed in the Netherlands because we were a bit older. We had to go to school, even though my mom um, homeschooled us for a while in Zambia. So he, of course, shaped me as well when I was when I was younger. Mm. My mom, I would say, is probably the biggest influence out of the two, if I were to say it that way. My grandparents, both my grandpa and my grandma from my mom's side. And who else? Oh, my sister's obviously as well. They're younger, uh, both. Yeah, they're both younger, so I was definitely the mom for them at some point, so, you know, <laughs> being the teacher or. <laughs> yeah, of I, I would carry on my younger sister in the traditional like African style, you know, with a, like a cloth. They mm-hmm. tie the baby around themselves and they hold the baby kind of like around the the hip. Mm-hmm. So I would carry on my, my younger sister when I was like seven or eight, probably. So that was uh, that was very nice. Um, But yeah, a lot of people, I think, and also many people locally, even though I might not remember all of them. I think it was in Zambia, we had a gardener, Bartholomeus, I think was his name. Mm-hmm. and I would be running back and forth between my mom and him. I would, I was I was learning English, and I wanted to tell him something, but I didn't speak English that well yet, so I would run back and forth to ask him, oh, how do you say this? And I would go and run back and, and tell him whatever I wanted to say. So uh, my nanny, when I was younger, Brenda, my memories are not that clear of her, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that, that she had an sure. impact on my life.
0: Yeah, I had a nanny when I was little too, and um, even though I guess we... We moved away, I guess, from her when I was five, so I was pretty young. But yeah, mm. Abby, her name was mm-hmm. Abby. Fond memories, because they're the ones that spend so much time playing with you. So they turn out to be very special people, I think. When they're Absolutely. when they're good and kind-hearted, they turn out to be just really special people that stay with you for a long time, even if if you're very young when they're not around anymore. For sure. Do you have any particular memories of a moment where you realized that other people's lives were not like yours or vice versa, that your life was not like theirs? Because I think that when we're very little, we're kind of blissfully unaware. And then usually there's a moment. There's a moment. Usually something happens when we realize, wait, (laughs) maybe my life is a little different. Do you have a moment like that? Or I think probably a lot of moments, but can you remember one?
1: I think there's one when we moved back from australia to the netherlands and i remember people asking me oh my god so in australia did you like have a tv when you were living there and like <laughs> were there like kangaroos everywhere and i was like yeah of course we had a tv and i would joke i would make fun of, <laughs> like i would would make a little bit of fun of them and i'd be like yeah oh my god we had like a whole family of kangaroos mm-hmm. like the mom and the dad and three little babies which obviously wasn't true because we were living in the city and it was absolutely normal, but <laughs> it was kind of like, it was kind of a bit funny for people to be, to think that in a different country, it would be like so more primitive than at mm. home. I don't know if that answers your question, but sure. any other moments? Well, maybe in the sense that a lot of people around me would have at an older age, oh, I'm going to hang out with my, you know, my primary school friends or Mm -hmm. they'd have reunions or like big groups of friends. And I'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah, I don't have like a big group of friends because I went to so many different schools. So I don't have that one big group of girls, say, that is very common, like here in Ireland or in the Netherlands or wherever. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like a girl's night. I didn't have that so clearly because I either didn't have enough time to to really establish very deep relationships. Or simply over time, especially when I was a bit younger without, you know, Internet or the technologies, that I made, it was more difficult to stay in touch with everybody. So I think that that's probably one of the things that I, until today, still notice, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't have that big group of primary school friends because there could be many different groups. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You make a good point. Like you didn't really have that girl pack and or that large group of friends that ends up hanging out together. One thing I noticed, and it wasn't a single memory or particular memory, but I remember that at some point I became aware of people making comments like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've known her forever. You know, we've been going to school, been going to the same school since we were in kindergarten." And Mm. just having those moments where I would just kind of, it would take me aback, and I would realize, "Huh? Well, that's odd." And just kind of realizing more and more people said things like that. And so maybe it was more common than I realized that people would go to the same school with the same people. Because I think that it really was kind of blissfully unaware most of the time until, I don't know, I guess around seven, eight years old when kids have been in school for several years with the same children. And you start hearing those comments and realizing you've known them since you were two. How weird! Yeah, did they just yeah, move always. with you? You know, it's like child <laughs> logic, right? Did, did they yeah. just move with you? <laughs> yeah. Of course not. You know, they just yeah, have a completely true. different life. But yeah, I remember those those moments were a little bit bizarre. So fast forward, you've got you've had all of these experiences, and you're wrapping up high school. What was your process for deciding, first of all, whether or not you were going to college and where you were going to do that?
1: Wow. Well, so. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was 18 when I finished high school in the Netherlands. And I was like, well, actually, no, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was so in love with my Italian teacher and with Italian Mm -hmm. in Australia at the time that I was like, oh, my God, I am going to study Italian. Not in Italy, in Australia. So that's when I bought my one-way ticket to Australia. I was like, bye, mom. See you later. I'm going to study at the University of Melbourne, and it's going to be Italian. So I went over, and three months later I was back because I had a boyfriend in the Netherlands, yeah, so kind of didn't really work out. And so I was back home, and I worked for the remainder of that year, gave myself some time to um, yeah, to kind of figure out what I wanted, so went to a few open days, and that's when I came across a degree called Intercultural Communication with a Language. So you could choose, I think it was English, German, French, or Spanish. So I was like, hmm, because I did go check out the Italian course at different universities as well, but I, I wasn't quite convinced because it was a lot of art and, yeah, not so much focus on the language. So I was like, hmm, I can study Spanish. That's, like, kind of Italian, close mm-hmm. to it. So started doing that, and I am grateful ever since because – Spanish just opened such a world for me, so much yeah. more than Italian could ever. Yes, the Italian, I still love Italian. It's my first love. It will always be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it has such a rich culture, history, art, architecture, you know, but, but Spanish just opened up so many different cultures and countries for me. Plus, when I moved to Brazil, it was very easy for me to learn Portuguese. So, yeah, it's, it's made me a completely different person. I am 100% sure of that. So really, really happy about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just more of the world speaks Spanish. So I think it. you're right. It does kind of open up more spaces for you. But yes, Italian is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Definitely worth knowing. But I think that it's probably more useful to learn one of the more broadly spoken languages. And that would be. Spanish. So sure. with this international life, has it, because I noticed that you said I was back home when referring to the Netherlands. So has that mm. kind of always been like of all the homes that's kind of been the anchor maybe? or
1: That's an interesting question. It has been up until a couple of months because my grandmother had been living in, in the Netherlands for past 50 years so I even lived there for a while when I was like three or four, went to kindergarten for a while. And it was always kind of the the home base in that sense. Like, even though my family would be moving around, they were still there. And that home where I always visited. Grandma. Um, so she, yeah. yeah, grandma. So she's actually now moved to Australia. So the home is still there but there's nobody in the house. So it has kind of lost its status of home for me. I don't really have a home base at the moment.
0: (laughs) Well, do you think of like, has Australia become a little bit more home because grandma's there?
1: I think so. Yeah. Well, my mom's there and I know I can always, whatever happens, I can always go to her, even though it's, a house that I've never been to so it's, it's mm-hmm. not it's never going to be the same in a way if you if you understand what I mean sure. but yes I will always have a person that I can count on and that I can go towards but I very much moved to a position of my home is where my heart is sure so my home is where I I build my home and where I make my home or a house feel like a home that was not always the case I think but mm-hmm. now for sure it is
0: are there special things that travel with you that make places, like infuse places with a sense of home for
1: you? It's a very timely question because I'm literally packing up my house right now. <laughs> I am leaving Dublin to travel the world in literally six nights.
0: Oh, so, I will be following your Instagram.
1: <laughs> yeah. Things that travel with me, I don't think there's a lot of things that travel like through time. If that makes sense. But I'll have a few things like my journal. Even though the journal is going to be a different book every single time, but it's, it's a book that I have with me in which I write. Yeah, my daily experiences, my thoughts, my worries, whatever kind of comes mm-hmm. up for me. So that's one thing that I'll take with me. That's a great question.
0: How do you make a place home? Because you you've had a lot of practice doing that.
1: <laughs> it's not a lot of practice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think the difference for me is when you start adding a bit more personality to a place. Yes, I've literally lived in 20 or 30 or at this point, probably like 40 different actual like apartments or houses or whatever it is. So once you start investing in decoration or plants, this is been my recent thing. Plants. I had to give them. Oh, I had to. I gave them away to a dear friend of mine so I could become the father of my plants. And now it's like there's no plants in my house. It feels kind of empty. Mm-hmm. So they're like little babies for me. But also, yeah, photographs or little, little items that I bring, say, for my travels that have a special meaning to me that would make a home more home. Nice. So
0: now that you're going off into the world, because I know that you were you're working who, LinkedIn, was it You were for, for a long time, right?
1: I was working for LinkedIn for a long time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now I've transitioned into my own business full time. So I can travel the world as a nomad, which I always Fantastic. said I would. <laughs> my ex so, was like, you are so crazy. And nomad, do you know what that <laughs> means? Like, wow, well, why not?
0: So are you traveling on your own then?
1: No, I'm traveling with my partner.
0: Okay. You have a partner. Wonderful. What's the dream? What are you envisioning for the, first of all, do you have a plan for how long you will travel or are you leaving that open?
1: Not quite. We kind of looked at Asia and the amount of countries we want to visit. And realistically we actually need like five years to really properly <laughs> oh, wow. visit all of them. But we've, we've planned out about a year, roughly, even though well, it depends on how much we like it. And then we can just see all right. Maybe it's eternally. Like my ideal situation really would be, so so my choice is always, oh, do I go to Australia or do I stay in Europe? Mm-hmm. Because part of my family is obviously there and it's not as if you take a train and go to the next city. Right. It's obviously an investment of time and money to to go over there. So my ideal scenario would be, say, after the travels, having two homes, say one in Europe and one in Australia, And just having summer all year, (laughs) going to Australia when it's summer, being in Europe when it's summer. And just, well, actually, I would love to be a global speaker and be traveling the world. Oh, that's the dream. There you go. That's really one of the things that I would love to actually do.
0: Nice. So you're going to start with Asia? Is that where you're starting? Yes. Where are you starting? Tell me, what's like the first part of the adventure? I mean, I know you're probably keeping it flexible since the full year, but what do you know for sure that you, yes, this is happening?
1: So Thailand is going to be the first destination for about a month. So mm-hmm. we have, yeah, like the first three weeks planned out. So Bangkok's going to be the first city and then we're going up to Chiang Mai and back down to the islands. So I'm super excited. I know I w- had to oh, be t- Thailand when I was little, but I don't remember, unfortunately. So maybe I'll have some flashbacks when I'm there. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, maybe it won't feel quite so alien to you, however different mm. it may be, because some part of you will just kind of be like,
1: yes, we've exactly. been here.
0: <laughs> Oh, well, I'm so, so excited for you. Thank Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. And um, where are you most active? Because especially now you're traveling, are you going to be on Instagram? Is that where you're going to be sharing your trip?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be on Instagram. What's your username? So my own business is Rua Coaching. So that's R-U-W-A Coaching. And potentially I'll create another instagram specifically for the trip but i don't have that planned out yet so i'll, I'll be posting <laughs> that on my current one okay if you want to follow me um just uh, just check it out
0: <laughs> yeah no i will for sure be following you thank you thank Amazing. you thank you so much for hanging out you're with you're so
1: Pam. welcome it's been an absolute honor and i just wanted to say that spreading our like multicultural global vibe is just something so so important because there are so many of us out there and it's just so lovely to Able to share a story. So, thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories.
1: You're very welcome.
0: You can follow Kim's trip around the world on Instagram at Rua Coaching. There's more information for you in the show notes and on the show blog at meettheneighbor.com. Thanks for joining the conversation. Be sure to share in the comments. We love to hear your stories. Meet the Neighbor is produced by Tamagam LLC. Our audio engineers: Diego Velazquez and Laura Tamayo. And my new friend is Kim Conston. Talk to you next week.